0: I'm here with Tim Barton today. Um, Tim holds, it's really hard to define Tim with a title, but I would say uh, right now, he's the visionary and developer of Edison District in downtown Overland Park, which we're going to talk about today. He's also the creator and founder of Edison Spaces, uh, which is a flexible workspace option for startups and companies. And he's also the creator and founder of a food collective, the first of which is Strang Hall in downtown Overland Park. He's a mentor and investor in startups. That's one of the, his passions. And uh, he splits his time between Kansas City, Austin and Telluride, uh, which gives him some interesting perspective on Kansas City. All that being said, he's probably best known as the founder of Freight which he started in 1998 – uh, which became the largest freight logi- online freight logistics company in the world, and he was the the first guy to digitize what was an archaic world of freight logistics, and allowed shippers to efficiently find the most effective way to shoot, ship their product around the country and the world. Was I was I accurate? Tim? So
1: accurate, Tim. I think our work is
0: done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's. Um, I want to start first with Edison District. Um, We've done some leasing there recently. We've done uh, some great things there. We, uh, you finished the project substantially in November, and once everybody had an opportunity to really see how great uh, Strang Hall, the food collector, was going to be and how awesome the office space was, we quickly leased to two companies. Um, why don't you tell us about those two companies and what the vision was for the district? Sure. So um,
1: downtown Overland Park is obviously uh, a cool area. There's a lot of cool areas in Kansas City. Um, but on the Kansas side, there hasn't been an authentic sort of neighborhood that has mixed-use capabilities. So uh, mixed-use obviously or is uh, a mix of live, work, play, if you will, eat, uh, et cetera. Uh, that really hasn't... Uh, Been available on the Kansas side of the metro area in any authentic uh, way. So so we saw Downtown Overland Park uh, with its uh, code of uh, of five-story buildings as an opportunity to develop uh, something very interesting. Simultaneous to our project, there were and have been uh, something like six or seven other five-story projects within a very tight area. So so our contribution to the the walkability of the neighborhood is a five-story office building, uh, a large courtyard, a, uh, a structured parking uh, garage, and then a large food hall, uh, which we call a chef collective um, because they're all actual chef restaurants as opposed to chains or uh, outposts of other
0: restaurants. So... Um It's about 50% leased. They're putting the final touches on uh, the project right now. Uh, Tenant finishes underway for MMGY, which are taking the top two floors or or floor and a half. And then Wellington, which is going to take the third floor. Um, So our first tenants are moving in the middle of June. Um, But there is still – we can still do tenants of 3,000 to 46,000 square feet. So we've got some leasing to do. And I think it's the only location. And mixed use has kind of been a buzzword, and and it's been very attractive for tenants, office tenants, for a long time. But there are always kind of these full scale models of fakeness. What we what we've got at, at Edison is a mixed use project within an authentic mixed use project, um, and its underlying kind of you know uh, coolness is that there's just. Great! It's a great culinary experience on the first floor. and Then you've got this, this – one of the best farmer's markets in the city across the street and then you also have the Culinary Institute in downtown Overland Park. So there's a lot going on there. Um, and as a, an employer um, formerly of thousands of people and a guy that was leasing hundreds of thousands of square feet for your companies, um, you've got a unique perspective on – creating environments and cultures for companies. Talk about that and what you were thinking about when you envisioned and created Edison District.
1: Sure. Well, I get a lot of the perspective or or got a lot of the perspective on what to put into downtown Overland Park as sort of like a canvas. I got the inspiration from being in Austin. I've had uh, experiences in Austin where I live in the central part of Austin, uh, i.e., uh, first downtown, and now right near downtown. But I've been able to go as as long as two weeks. that was my record, fourteen days, where I didn't step foot into a vehicle, a car. Uh, so not an Uber, not my own car. Just you know, two weeks. That's all walk, live, work, play, whatever. So um, you know that was a little obsessive, and you know. Uh, but uh, the ability to really live life without driving and sitting in traffic is transformational and if if you ever get the opportunity to do it and a lot of people can do that sometimes on vacations and things like that if you can live your life where you're not tied to your car every day it really changes everything and so the idea of putting office space near multifamily, ie apartments uh, also single-family houses all walkable just hasn't existed in Johnson County, uh, which is you know a suburb designed in the 40s and 50s around the uh, American automobile culture. Uh, so anyway, it's a, uh, it's a true walkable area that uh, you can now work and live and eat and, and enjoy your life. And so Str- you know, uh,
0: Strang Hall, um, it's not the traditional food hall. There's a lot of layers below it. Uh, that make it very interesting. And I think initially when you walk into it, it's very large. It's 13,000 square feet, so lots of room to spread out. Um, very high-quality finish, uh, natural woods, um, a great bar. Uh, and then you've got outdoor space, which uh, is intimate, but what's surprising is it's the same scale as as the, the Power and Light District. And then that flows into um, – a four-acre park, which is which the city of Overland Park already spent three and a half million dollars redoing. So, it's interesting that um, after you know when we stop this shelter in, in place, you've got um, a project that's is quasi urban suburban, but you've got a lot of wide open spaces. Talk about. Um, could you first start talking? Talk to us a little bit about what makes Strang Hall different, uh, your use of technology, and how you're coaching up uh, the chefs that you've selected and how you've selected them. Sure, yeah. So, you know, the puzzle we tried to solve
1: with this uh, business, with this project, is that we wanted to have interesting, creative chef restaurants in our development. And we found out that that just doesn't come about naturally. Sometimes a chef has an idea, rounds up some capital, and maybe they open up their own restaurant. Um, But you can't just get that on command and say, we want something, can you guys come in? And so um, we built a model to solve that for ourselves and for other developers, whereby uh, we put up uh, the capital and the equipment, we put up all the We put together all the business functions with a very uh, heavy hand towards technology and automation. And then we recruited the chefs by saying, anybody out there ever dream of having your own restaurant? Uh, I think most people who work in a kitchen have that dream. Um, But we've been able to make that a reality for a handful of chefs. um, And they're very excited to not just make their food uh, for uh, patrons, but to really interact with them, to see them at their counters talking to people and telling them what they're making and talking about uh, the local things that they're bringing in or stuff they get on special and and make a special just that night that they run out of. Um, It's really everything we envisioned from the beginning, and that is truly authentic, creative uh, chefs, bringing people joy and and satisfaction from from what they're able to create and uh most of these people came from most of these chefs came from uh sort of corporate kitchens and things like that so they they always had to make the same thing uh year in and year out the same way uh and this just gives them the opportunity to say hey i found these oyster mushrooms at the farmer's market guess what's on special tonight uh and we see that right this week we're we're open currently for uh pickups uh, and next week, we open the food hall, uh, the dining hall again on Wednesday. Uh, but one of our chefs has a Morel pasta special because he got a big supply of Morel mushrooms. So, uh, yeah, and they sell right. out. So, you better get there quick. <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to switch over to uh, Edison Spaces. Um, as a guy that's started a number of companies uh, and has been involved in a number of startups, um, again, you've got a unique perspective on the kind of space that startups need, uh, the kind of economic model that they could work under. Um, talk about Edison Spaces and um, and why uh, why it's different than co work space.
1: Sure. So um, we never set out to do co working space, which is basically renting a desk in a larger space with other people renting other desks. That's just not something we wanted to do. Um, so really what we try to solve and have solved is just some people need smaller offices than uh, than the traditional larger long-term lease. So, you know, maybe they need space for three people or even 18 people, uh, but they don't want to sign a five-year lease. They just don't know what they're going to need in three years. could be more space, less space, who knows? Um, so we – we modeled our um, our business to allow uh, that flexibility, but also the pricing is not outrageous. When you get a lease for even five people, you need extra space for a conference room. You need extra space for a break room. When you take that out of the, the actual tenant need, um, and share that because other people can use the conference room and can use the break room. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you get down to a price point where even though we offer month-to-month terms, fully furnished with the internet included, um, it, it can actually be exactly the same price as a full long-term lease. And that's that's exactly what we set out to do in that model, and it really did work that way.
0: I want to go back to Strang Hall. Um, and the, the chef collective concept, in um, uh, your selection of chefs, um, you've selected the best of the best that don't yet have a restaurant. Um, and I think what's super interesting about Edison is it's the only office building that I know of anywhere that has a very high-level, high-end culinary experience at the base of an office building. And um, how did that feed into um, our attracting MMGY and Wellington to the project so quickly and giving us 50 percent pre-lease? Sure. So uh,
1: I'd say backing up, you know, our idea was we wanted authentic chef restaurants in the building. Um, That wasn't – we were looking for maybe one restaurant just to make it a cool place. We had no idea when we started that we'd end up building this whole business around it with not just one cool, authentic restaurant, but six authentic chef restaurants in one space. It worked out way better than we had initially envisioned. Uh, the food is absolutely fantastic. And moreover, when we did the tours with Wellington and MMGY, we, we, in, in both cases, we got to eat at the Chef Collective at Strang Hall. And the food is amazing and i hate to say it but it's almost like that's what sold them on the building now yeah, it's a great neighborhood. It's mixed use. Their employees can walk to work, and all the great things. But to have even a great restaurant in the lower level would be amazing.
0: Tab two would be unbelievable, but six, it's it's really a differentiator. It is, and I think uh, restaurants have uh, you know a shelf life. They start and they end, right? But the the cool thing about about the collective is is that it's dynamic, and it's always changing. And you're using metrics to coach up your chefs, looking at what's selling, what time of day it's selling, and really figuring out a business model that works, that's constantly changing. You know, if a product's not selling, it's changing. You're not stuck with a menu for six months that isn't selling. Talk about how you're using metrics to...
1: Sure. So, I mean, when you think about a big corporate chain, they're going to use all the data analytics of any big corporation, but most chef restaurants don't know about business intelligence and business analytics. So, um, so we bring that to the table here. And I've been in meetings where we look at charts and, and see what items are where on this uh, graph. And menu items get hauled away because they're on the lower left and they get uh, replaced with something else shooting for the upper right. So um, so it's, it's data-driven creativity, if you will. Uh, these chefs have boundless creativity. All they got to know is what is the market like? And then they can remove the stuff that's not uh, – getting adopted and
0: keep on trying. So for a developer, having this quality of experience on the base you're building is going to allow you to charge more rent above because you've enhanced the environment uh, for your tenants. Um, And, you know, what we find is, you know, a developer builds an office building and then they lease, you know, a couple of spaces to a taco place and a hamburger place and an Italian place. And sure enough, within a year, two of them have gone out of business. And so they've got to go back in and refill them. So the sustainability of having something that's constantly dynamic, where the chefs are coming in and out and moving on, and food's changing. Yeah, this uh, model is designed to be evergreen.
1: So if if something isn't a hit with the public, uh, that chef can overhaul their menu. As a matter of fact, during this uh, lockdown, uh, we have had three chefs totally overhaul their menus. Uh, and one chef is uh, a new chef coming in. So that'll be a whole new menu. Um, the, uh, the environment allows for constant change, both daily with specials, but also periodically anything can be switched out. It's not about this one restaurant didn't work. Uh, it's about this space can always accommodate new creative chefs and, and great food.
0: And I think partnering. Your idea is to partner with developers across the country to help them solve a problem on the first floor of their their office building. Absolutely, and believe it or not, we have
1: uh, ongoing a bunch of uh, Zoom meetings this whole uh, lockdown period with developers around the country, and so uh, developers are still building and they still have this problem to solve.
0: What I mean, I wanted to switch over to uh, your perspective on the. The, the tech startup ecosystem in Kansas City. Um, and you obviously work across the country, um, spend a lot of time in Austin, which is a, a, a major tech city. Um, what is different about Kansas City and what are some of our challenges that we need to overcome to be better at what we do?
1: I do mentoring in Austin as well as Kansas City for startups. They're not all tech startups. They're It's almost like you could say all startups are tech startups these days because every company has to have some level of technology and automation. But ultimately, uh, both towns have vibrant uh, startup environments. Uh, One difference is it appears that companies in Austin can raise capital better um, because they do announce some pretty big uh, raises by, by different startups there. Um, but at the same time, there is plenty of capital in Kansas City. There are, I know of at least four VCs based in Kansas City. Um, so the good news is there's capital here. Uh, I, I, I personally feel like the major difference between Kansas City and Austin startup uh, communities is that in Kansas City, uh, the startups generally have less capital and they end up working collaboratively across startups more. So it's more of a, a camaraderie and more of a, a true community of startups. So if you think about the logic, if, if you've got some seed capital, uh, you're going to collaborate with your other startup friends uh, as often as possible because you just need that sort of support and, and guidance and things like that. If you've raised $20 million dollars, you can't possibly be hanging out with your you know, cohort of other startup friends because now you've got a real business to run. You're hiring you know, C-suite people and all this other stuff. So, so that's what the, where the difference starts. I think in Kansas City, you have a lot more collaboration across startups. And I think that makes for a more vibrant startup community. It's not, not as isolated.
0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Before we close up today, is there anything else on your mind? I'm trying to come up with a good between two ferns. Thing, but it's, the guy's too mean. It's just not, you can do it, but it's just not a nice thing. No. <laughs>